0: i invite you to turn with me in your Bible to the Song of Solomon, the last of the wisdom books in the Bible before the prophet Isaiah. Song of Solomon. And we'll be considering this in connection to the seventh commandment of the Ten Commandments that you shall not commit adultery. And here, as we're going to say more in more detail in a moment. Here in the Song of Solomon, or in the Hebrew Bible as it's referred to as the Song of Songs, um, here we find um, an expression of what true true love is. Um, In a world full of cheap love, false love, empty love, here we find true, fulfilling love uh, between um, a a bride and her husband, as is expressed for us here in Song of Solomon chapter 8. And we're going to read verses 1 through 7, but our focus is really going to be on verses 6 and 7. As I was coming, uh, my wife was reminding me because she read the text ahead of time, and she was super confused why the wife desires that her husband be her brother. And so I told her I was going to skip over this, but let me just simply say um, that the reason she does this in the beginning is because their love somewhat, if you read the whole book here, is forbidden. And so um, she's not ultimately desiring that her husband be her brother, but in the same way a sister and a brother could be together in public or be in the house together without anyone thinking anything of it, so too she desired that for her husband. So that's why that language is here. More could be said, but again, our focus is going to be on verses 6 and 7. So, Song of Solomon, beginning at verse 1, chapter 8, it says this Oh, that you were like a brother to me, who nursed at my mother's breast. If I found you outside, I would kiss you, and none would despise me. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to teach me. I would give you spiced wine to drink, the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem. That you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Who is it that who is, who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave." Its flashes are the flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. So far from God's holy word. I'm going to turn now in the back of our hymnal to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 41. You should find that on page 892. 892. And here the Catechism is opening up what is required of us and forbidden of us in the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. So there's two questions, I'll read the question and we'll respond together with the answers. Question 108, what is God's will for us in the seventh commandment, that God condemns all unchastity? and that we should therefore detest it wholeheartedly and live decent and chaste lives within or outside of the holy state of marriage. Does God in this commandment forbid only such scandalous sins as adultery? We are temples of the Holy Spirit, body and soul, and God wants both to be kept clean and holy. That is why God forbids all unchaste actions, looks, talk, thoughts, or desires, and whatever may incite someone to them. So far from our catechism. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what is the Song of Solomon doing in the Bible? And what does it have to do with the sixth commandment? Those are the two introductory questions I want us to think about. So what is the Song of Solomon doing in The Bible, well, it's placed within the context of the wisdom books of Scripture. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. And the wisdom books in God's word here teach us about life. And they teach us how our relationship with God affects all of life. The Psalms teach us that a life of true worship in a world fallen in idolatry false securities, and misery. Proverbs teaches us a life of true wisdom in a world fallen in folly and in paths that lead to destruction. The book of Job teaches us a life of suffering well in a world fallen under the shadow of death. Ecclesiastes teaches us a life of true meaning and purpose in a world fallen in vanity and endless pursuits. And so the Song of Solomon teaches us a life of true love in a world fallen, in self-love, cheap love, and love that leaves people empty in the end. In the same way we need wisdom, in the same way we need worship, and to know how to suffer well, and meaning and purpose, so too we need to know what true love is. And that is why the Song of Solomon is in the Bible for us, something so significant, something that's at the heart of Scripture, really, the love of God, as it's revealed to us in redemptive history, as God shows his love by giving us his Son. And so something behind the book of the Song of Solomon is the love of God and Is giving us his son. It's the love of the son, Jesus Christ, for his church. thats behind this, but not merely just spiritual realities, but also how that love is reflected in our lives. And the kind of love that we ought to be living out within the bounds of marriage for those who are married. The kind of love we should be seeking for those who are single and desirous of marriage. And the kind of love that ultimately then points us to the greatest love, the love of Christ. For us, his people, and the love that we are to give back in return. They're not to be separated, these things, but they all are organically connected for us here in the Song of Solomon. And so then, the Song of Solomon is in the Bible for this purpose, to teach us what true love is and the bounds of that love. But it's also um, connected to the sixth commandment, because while the sixth commandment forbids unchastity, uh, forbids adultery... The Song of Solomon puts it positively. What then are we to pursue? What then are we to love? Right? So there are things that are condemned, things that are forbidden, but also then things that are required. And this is what the Song of Solomon presents for us in a positive way, the true fulfillment in a sense of the sixth commandment, not just avoiding things, but then pursuing the right things. And that's often a stronger motive, motivation in our lives, not just hating things, right, that can move us and that ought to motivate us, but the greatest motive is loving something and pursuing something that is good and right. And so the Song of Solomon presents us with the proper pursuit of true love. And so it's connected then as to the sixth commandment as its proper fulfillment, as what we ought to then be pursuing in obedience to God in light of what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. Now before we jump into our six points here, and these are going to be points that we could eventually in the future flesh out in further detail, but we have limited time uh, for this service. Uh, These points are going to pertain to what verses 6 and 7 teach us about true love. Um, But before we do that, I want to read a quick quote from Jonathan Edwards regarding uh, the Song of Songs, or the Song of Solomon here. He writes this, that this one song of Solomon's, which is inserted in the canon of Scripture, is distinguished from all the rest, all the other songs that Solomon may have written, by the name of the song of songs, or the most excellent of his songs. Um, it's a Hebrew way of giving the, giving the superlative. It's not just a song, it's the song of songs. Uh, it's the greatest of all songs, the most excellent of his songs. Or more than all his other songs, as the subject of its transcendency, of a more sublime and excellent nature than the rest, treating of the divine love, union, and communion of the most glorious lovers, Christ and his spiritual spouse, of which a marriage union and conjugal love is but a shadow. Right, As we said before, yes, this speaks to us about the love of Christ for his church, but also then, by reflection or by shadow, also the love that is found within marriage, And the love that we are then to pursue um, ourselves. So what does the Song of Solomon, at least in these verses here, verses 6 and 7, teach us about true love? Well, six things. First, true love is sealed. True love is sealed. As the um, lover sings, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your heart. Arm. This is the bride, the um, singing to her husband, desiring that he set her as a seal upon his heart and a seal upon his arm. Now, a seal, of course, um, reflected something of ownership. Um, she desired that her husband, in a sense, have ownership of her, but in such a way that his heart and his arm, his affection for her, and his strength and his doing would be all for her, would be directed all to her and to, who, to her alone. That this love would not just be opened, and this love would not just be free-flowing, but that this love would be sealed, um, that there would be something committing her husband to her. This is the kind of love that we see reflected in scripture as true love it's sealed and by way of contrast and really all of these points we can see contrasts around us in the world and also within our own hearts and its own tendency remember that god's word doesn't simply just speak about actions but also our own hearts and so it's not enough just to condemn those around us but also to think about our own hearts and where we might find conviction and need to repent but By way of contrast, the kind of love we see around us is a kind of open, uncommitted love. It's a love that could be broken. It's a love that is unsealed and can be lost at any moment. It's a kind of love that is pursued by pornography, a love in which I can... Seek out those who will satisfy me, but will never actually be committed to someone, never actually seal that love for a particular person. My affections go after this person, my actions and my strength go after this person, but it's never sealed or committed. But here, true love is one that is sealed upon the heart and upon the arm, the seed of the affections, the seed of strength. All of it would be given to his husband to his wife, rather, to his wife, that um, he would totally own her, totally love her, totally protect her. That's the kind of love that the scriptures show us. And it's the kind of love, again, as we reflect on this, the kind of love that Christ has for his church, a sealed love, sealed by his spirit, sealed with a guarantee that he will come for his bride. And so against the open love and open relationships in an uncommitted world, the kind of love that we are to have within the bounds of marriage and the kind of love we ought to pursue as those who desire marriage is a love that is sealed. Secondly, true love is strong. For love, as the middle of verse 6 says, for love is as strong as death. Now, Think of anything more strong than death. Now you might think upon Christ, and you'd be right to do so. but death, as an image here, is something that is um, unbreakable. A uh, death as something that, once it claims its person, uh, does not let go of that person, right? It's, it has strength in terms of its perseverance. It has strength in terms of it grabbing hold and never letting go. Who could break the power of death? Who could um, unleash or open up the power of? Of death's hand. And so too, true love is strong. True love is one that has permanence. True love is ought ought to be unbreakable. It's why marriage is something as God takes one man and one woman and brings them together as one flesh. that, That union is strong. And stronger, as strong as death. It is meant to be. Permanent. It's not meant to ever be broken or separated. And again, in a world in in which marriages easily crumble the moment affection is lost or the moment hurts are had or there's disagreements and there's separation immediately, such love is a false love that does not get at the kind of love that God has for us as His people. True love is strong as death, it's not weak or fleeting or temporary or impermanent. It's not fickle, it doesn't change moment to moment, but it is permanent. It sticks through things. And that's the kind of love that we are called to. And that's the kind of love, again, that Christ shows us. A love that he pursues us while we were yet sinners. He loves us while we were yet enemies of him. And then we say with the Apostle Paul that what could separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. It is a love that is as strong as death, if not stronger than death, founded in the resurrection Life of Jesus Christ that cannot be broken. So love is strong. Thirdly, love is singular. As he says, jealousy, for love is strong as death, jealousy is fierce as the grave. And the idea here, right, why I speak of jealousy? Well, jealousy within the bounds of a marriage relationship is one uh, that is singular in its focus. It desires that one person, my spouse, my wife, or my husband, and none other, and desiring that none other be involved within that relationship. It's singular. It's exclusive. It's the kind of love that Christ, again, has for his church. Uh, Christ doesn't have many brides. He has one bride. His affections are set on one bride, his church, us, his people corporately. And so too, our love ought to be singular. Again, in a world in which you have the Andrew Tates who are saying to get as many women as you possibly can to draw your heart and extend it every direction to every woman to achieve uh, their love for you or their affection or whatever they might give for you. In such a world, we say, no, that's foolishness, that's empty, and that is not the true kind of love that God has called us to. True love is singular in its focus. It loves its husband. It loves its wife and none other. And so the kind of love we ought to pursue at, even prior to being married is a kind of love in which we have control over our hearts. Our, we're, we're, our, we have our hearts reined in. They're not just going in every direction, uh, but they're focused and they're singular in their aim for one person for life. True love is singular. Fourthly, true love is sacred as the uh, Solomon writes, its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. He's saying that the true source of this love, of true love, comes from God himself, that that it's given from him. And therefore, it's God who has every right and prerogative to define the marriage relationship as he does between one man and one woman. It's God who has the prerogative and the right to say that marriage ought to be held in honor and the marriage bed held in honor because it's not from man, but it's ultimately from God. And therefore, God is the one who defines it. God is the one who gives the parameters for true love. It is sacred love. And therefore, our marriages are not just earthly services or earthly means. Yes, they do have a purpose and a good for society. They provide the organization of society and they provide unity and they provide coherence and they provide the context for families. And right, there's a great good that marriages do for for society, but it's not merely a societal good, but it's a sacred good that God has given. And therefore, God is to be honored in marriage. The state could disappear, but marriage would continue, right? Marriage, yes, we, as those who recognize the good for the state, have states, the state licensing licen- licensing marriages. Um, we go through that process, and it's right for us to do so as Christians. But the state could disappear. The state could be gone. The state could redefine marriage. But those things don't ultimately change what true marriage is, and because marriage is meant to be the context of true love, and true love is... Sacred, it's flashes or flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. And therefore, it reflects but a shadow of God's love for his people. It reflects the love of God for his people, Christ for his church. And therefore, um, it is sacred. True love is also steadfast, right? It's steadfast. As he says in verse 7, many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. Right, so, love, while compared to a fire, often even in our own uh, language and even in our own cultural um, idioms, we all, love is, you know, spark, to love is a flame, love is a fire, and those things are proper. I mean, we see them reflected in Scripture as well. But we see also then that this fire, the love that we are to have, is not lived out and held or carried in a safe environment. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. There are attacks, there are um, water uh, against, uh, to to quench the kind of love, and therefore love is not lived at the, the love that God calls us to here is not lived, you can say, at the end of the fairy story, right? And they all lived happily ever after. There's peace in the kingdom, and there's nothing that would ever disrupt their love ever again. That's not where the kind of love that God's calling us to is lived out today. But at the beginning of the story, when there's still enemies to be fought, and there's still dragons to be uh, slain, and there's still um, obstacles to overcome. And that's the kind of love that God calls his people to. Not easy love at the end in which nothing goes wrong, but a love that is steadfast. And the great comfort is that this true love is spoken of as something that neither, neither water nor floods can drown out. It's something that against all odds remains and continues. And so too, again, this is the kind of love we ought to pursue if we're single and the kind of love that ought to define our marriages, ones that are steadfast. And many of us here who are married could testify very easily to the fact that love is tested. Uh, There are waters that come up and rise up against love. But trusting in the Lord, we know that such love cannot be quenched by waters, nor can floods drown it out. And such attacks come from within our own hearts. It comes from without, as um, everything around us um, speaks counter to what God says about true love. But against all of those attacks, whether overt or more subtle, through hardships and trials and difficulties, hard decisions, past experiences, all of these things, right? Love is true. Love is steadfast, as it comes from the Lord. And the sixth and final thing we see about true love here is that it is sublime. It is above um, what we can think of. It's beyond the price of, the, the, that of anything that we could offer. If a man offered for love, as it says at the end of verse 7, all the wealth of his house he would be utterly despised. True love cannot be bought. It cannot be purchased. You can think about this in a different context or a different relationship. Imagine Maddox goes up to Caesar. Dad, how much for you to love me? You know, he gets his piggy bank out. right? How much do you need? Maddox, we would tell you, Maddox, you don't understand the true love that your father has for you. It's not bought. It's not purchased. right? And so, too, in true love within the context of a marriage, if a man thought he could simply buy the love, the affection, as if something could just earn these things and purchase them, he he misunderstands the relationship entirely. Such love cannot be purchased, and to think so, he would be utterly despised because it reveals that he doesn't understand what it is at all to begin with. And so, true love cannot be purchased. It's not for sale. It's far too precious. It's far too valuable. It's far too um, inestimable in its cost to be given away just so freely. And again, we live in a culture where such love is thought to be purchased, Um, whether that is um, through um, prostitution or through pornography or through online sites, whatever it might be that we throw our money to, to feel love or feel affection or feel satisfaction. Such is despicable, really, as the scriptures say, or utterly despised, because it thinks that love can be purchased. But love is too precious. And therefore, love is something that is once had and once found and once given is far more precious. It's why the psalm uh, the, uh, Solomon elsewhere in Proverbs will speak of a wife who could find a good wife. And it's far more precious than jewels, right? Because it is beyond the purchase price of anything that we could offer up. The wealth of our entire houses could not purchase this love. And so this is the kind of love that God calls us then to. In a world fallen in self-love, in cheap love, in empty love, and in fulfillment of the sixth commandment, we are to pursue love that is true, and love that is true is sealed, it's strong, it's singular, it's sacred, it's steadfast, and it is sublime. And all of these things then reflect to us the love of Jesus Christ for us and our love that we have within our marriages here that ought to be strengthened along these lines, the love that we ought to pursue as single people who may desire to be married, this is the kind of love that we are to look for because it's a love that honors and a love that reflects a heart that knows the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so let us then pursue such love in a world fallen in false love. Let us pursue true love in response to the love of God that he's had for us as his people. And while for some of us may not be married and may never be married, yet it's a love that you do experience within the family of God. It's a love that you experience from God Himself, who loved you, Jesus Christ, who loved you and gave Himself for you. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that you so loved the world, that you gave your only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We thank you that that life flows, that everlasting life flows from the love that you have shown. And so we trust that such life that is everlasting is also full of joy and goodness and satisfaction. Father, in a world in which love is distorted, love is pictured in so many false ways and of, uh, false a- a- avenues for pursuing love are presented to us all over the place. May we shun such things and instead walk in the light of your word and love as you've called us to love as we look to you, our Father in heaven, as we trust in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has loved us and gave himself for us in whose name we pray, amen.